Welcome to the Abide In Me podcast, where we're countering the malaise of modern culture and superficial spirituality by taking aim at the truth. We'll be looking for answers to the big life questions. What was our origin? Where can we find meaning and purpose? How do we discern between good and evil? Fact and fiction? And what is our ultimate destination? You can find more content on our YouTube channel, AIM Radio, or follow us on Instagram. All links and resources are provided in the podcast notes. Enjoy this week's episode. I wanted to talk today about something that I've seen more and more of, actually, in our society. And that is people going along with faulty ideas and things that are quite blatantly false... And so I wanted to look at the psychology behind it, because you would think in this day and age when there's so much information out there that we'd actually be more informed. I don't know if anyone's seen that. I think it's a Google ad. And there are various people asking questions into their phone, I guess using Siri or something. It even shows people in a restaurant being delivered some food and then asking their phone what they had just ordered because they couldn't remember. And I, I, when I saw that, I didn't think that that was a particularly great image to be advertising because these technology companies are basically saying, hey, you guys are too dumb to even remember what dish you just ordered off a menu. And so we've created this technology, this AI, that means you don't have to remember You don't have to remember what you ordered five minutes ago. It's all within your phone. It's all at the touch of a button. And with all these other technological advancements, so-called, especially with things like ChatGPT, I don't know if anyone uses this or knows about it, where you can just basically type in a subject and the AI will create whatever you want, whether it's an essay whether it's a poem. There are AI programs now that create art, music, all at the touch of a button. And you've got to ask yourself, where's this leading? It's leading to my mind in a very dystopian direction where we are so merged with technology that we become inhuman. We've given away our creativity. We've given away our thought processes, our ability to think critically. All for what? Convenience? Do we really think that artwork and music created by AI that we ourselves have created is going to be better than the real thing? I mean, for some people it might. For all the people that want to live in the metaverse, who want to put on their VR goggles and check out of life, maybe that's exactly what they're looking for. But I think there's a lot of people, including myself, who are very uneasy about this merging with technology that is being hailed as the next step of our human evolution, when in actual fact, it seems to be stopping us in our tracks and even actually reversing us. 
And so maybe the division that so many people speak about, whether you're looking at Christian teachings, Christ teachings about separating the wheat and the chaff or the sheep and the goats, whether you're talking about New Age teachings that talk about separating people on the old earth and the new earth, there's always some kind of division, some kind of separation between people in all of these religious teachings. And there are all kinds of ideas about what the fault line is, the good are separated from the evil, the conscious are separated from the unconscious, that's a, a new age term. The more higher your consciousness is, the higher you vibrate yourself into a different reality, the more likely it is that you will be separated onto the new earth and all those terrible people who are unconscious will be left on the old earth. But at the moment, the fault line seems to be the ability to actually see the truth or even seek the truth. And so the people who want to think, who know how important that is, who look at this dystopian future laid out by the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, Yuval Noah Harari. I mean, the only technocrat that seems to be laying out the dangers of all of this is Elon Musk. But he, of course, has got his company Neuralink whose goal is to be able to put chips, computer chips, in people's brains. So even he owns companies that are moving towards this future, even though he sees the danger of it. Because we've already proven that just because we have access to more information through the internet, through our phones, through search engines on our laptops, it certainly doesn't mean we're evolving. It actually means the opposite. People are so dumbed down now, not because they don't have access to information, but because they refuse to filter it through critical thinking. People will choose what they want to believe. And it's usually things that are simple and make them feel better or trigger some kind of emotional response in them. There's a great quote by American economist Thomas Sowell talking about our society today. And he says, one of the painful signs of years of dumbed-down education is how many people are unable to make a coherent argument. They can vent their emotions, question other people's motives, make bold assertions, repeat slogans, anything except reason. Isn't that true? Vent emotions, question other people's motives, make bold assertions, repeat slogans. That's been ramped up over the past two to three years. If you look at social media, that's all it is. People repeating slogans, throwing statistics at each other, staying in their little camps, not willing to listen to anyone else not willing to learn, not willing to put the effort in. And it has resulted in a kind of idiocracy. People are so dumbed down. And this is in all aspects of life. All the contentious issues, whether we're talking about climate change, whether we're talking about human evolution, whether we're talking about COVID and the pandemic, or anything to do with medicine, whether we're talking about science, whether we're talking about political ideas, whether we're talking about religions, literally every aspect of life now, people are 
discussing things, which you think, well, that's good. People are more informed and they want to discuss things, but they're not listening and they're not learning. And the information that's out there in a popular sense, where we get all the slogans and the statistics and the bold assertions, the information that people are shouting at each other is often decades old. And so the popular ideas that float around, I mean, climate change is a classic. All of the predictions about the end of the world and catastrophes and cities underwater, etc., etc., none of which came true. People are still saying them. People are still using them to make their point. Catastrophic, human-caused climate change, still making bold assertions, even though these predictions haven't come true. And part of the reason is there's so much emotion involved now. People are just venting their emotions, their fears, but they're not even questioning if they should be afraid, if they should be emotional about this. Is this a topic that I need to be desperately upset about? Have I even read any of these climate change reports or reports on systemic racism? Have I even read these scientific theories, whether we're talking about the theory of evolution, whether we're talking about the Big Bang theory, even if we're talking about religion, have you even read your religious text? If you say you're a Buddhist, if you say you're a Christian, if you say you're a Muslim, have you even read the texts? And a lot of the time the answer is no. I mean, a classic example of this is Andrew Tate, who was an atheist, then claimed to be a Christian, claimed he was talking about Christian values, and now is a Muslim, telling everyone they need to read the Quran. All these young men, young men that I know of, who follow Andrew Tate, and then they themselves start telling other people to read the Quran, but they've never read the Quran. And I doubt Andrew Tate has. And it becomes very frustrating when a lot of people in society now think that they can just have an opinion on anything without actually thinking about it. You see this within Christianity all the time. People who say, well, we don't even know if Jesus existed. This is a popular myth. <laughs> a popular myth at the popular level. Bold assertion. Bold assertion. We don't even know that Jesus actually existed. What that person is actually saying is, I don't know if Jesus actually existed because I haven't bothered to look into it. And so we do know that Jesus existed. We do know that. Even if you are the most cynical person in terms of Christianity, the Bible, Christian teachings, whatever, even if you are an atheist like biblical scholar Bart Ehrman, he knows that Jesus existed because he has studied the historical evidence. And so when people repeat these bold claims and statistics and make these throwaway comments, often derisive comments, oh, these people who believe in Christianity, I mean, we don't even know if Jesus existed. I mean, it sounds very plausible. 
it sounds as if these people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and these other atheists really know what they're talking about because, I mean, they're really intelligent and they're dismissive of this stuff. Well, I must believe them. But actually all they're doing is showing their own stupidity, their own ignorance. And if we're going to be really cynical, their own deception. And so why do we want to, to listen to these people? This is what amazes me. It must be because the people that follow them haven't yet realised that they are either deceived themselves or are actively deceiving other people. Bart Ehrman is a good example of someone who speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He is a textual critic, a biblical scholar, and so he's written lots of books, one's called Misquoting Jesus. And his general idea is that Jesus didn't really say the things that he said, he didn't claim to be divine, that the resurrection didn't happen. So, you know, basically attacking the central ideas of the Christian faith. And so, for example, in his book, Misquoting Jesus, people come away with the impression that the Bible can't be trusted, that it's a copy of a copy of a copy. We don't have the original, so we can't possibly know what it says. But in the appendix of this book, he's asked a question about the importance of these textual variants. And he has to admit they're not important. It hasn't been changed in the way that he suggests in his popular books. And so it's not just him and it's not just the Bible. It's the same in so many areas. That people speak out of both sides of their mouth. They will give you some popular level slogans that the majority of people will understand, leaving you with the wrong impression, usually knowing that you're not going to do any study yourself, whether it's about the Bible and actually reading it for yourself or actually reading some of these IPCC reports about climate change. People aren't going to read those reports and they know it so they can get away with saying whatever they want to say. They also know that people have an incredibly short attention span and memory. This is why the goal is to have us all completely plugged into our phones, not having a single original thought, just asking Siri, what's the answer? And where's the answer going to come from? Official sources, Wikipedia, a Google search the mainstream media, heaven forbid, heaven forbid that we are just fed official story after official story through AI. I mean, talk about the ministry of truth. George Orwell couldn't have even imagined this level of brainwashing. If you go and watch even the film of 1984, everyone has a TV in their hovel, that they are forced to watch. They're forced to watch the official story from the Ministry of Truth. But this, chips in our brains, being totally connected to our phones and social media, being fed the official story in a way that is so entirely addictive, that means that our brains literally stop working because we're too lazy to do any kind of thinking and research for ourselves. 
yeah, George Orwell couldn't have come up with a better system of brainwashing and control. And of course, the other side of it is emotional. People don't want to stand out from the crowd. Because if you look at all the people that are standing out from the crowd, whether they're protesting against the draconian COVID measures in Canada, whether they're the Jordan Peterson types who just get totally vilified in the media, or anyone that speaks out against the official story, people's bank accounts being shut down, people's businesses being affected, people losing their jobs during the pandemic, then yeah, why would you stand up and stand out? Why would you think, why wouldn't you just take on the official story? It's much safer and in some ways less stressful. Let me just plug into the metaverse. Who cares? Who cares about thinking? Who cares about the truth? Finding the truth seems hard and it doesn't seem as if I'm going to get much kudos or status or many pats on the back for doing so. So a system has been created, and this is a global system, which makes it even more sinister, to convince people that thinking is bad. Now all we have to do is bring in some kind of spiritual teachings that also tell us that. Teachings about the monkey mind and teachings about focusing on the present moment. And No, we don't think about the past and we don't think about the future. We just focus on the present moment and then we'll be calm and peaceful. Well, if we don't think about the past and we don't understand not just history, but what happened five minutes ago, then we are much more likely to be deceived. And if we don't think about our future, we're going to become apathetic. And if we're focusing on the present moment, we're really only focusing on ourselves, aren't we? We're not really focusing on the problems of the world or even the problems in our own lives and thinking how perhaps we could change them. And if we do want to change, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to look on Instagram and see if someone's posted up some, some life hack that we need to implement. Because I don't know how to change my life. I don't know what diet to do. I don't know how to fix my relationship. I don't know how to make a lot of money and get rich quick. I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to pray. I don't know anything. I need to quickly look for some quick hack, some sound bite, some Instagram post that is going to give me the answers that I need, but they need to be brief and they need to be easy to implement. And I'm going to get bored of them quite quickly, so I need lots of them, which is why it's good that there's lots of lifestyle gurus on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else. It's good that there's lots of so-called spiritual teachers that are writing easy books that I can understand. But the problem is, it's not easy. And what you will notice is that you will start to feel more uneasy if you live your life in that way, on bite-sized spirituality, on bite-sized information nuggets repeating slogans, making bold assertions, not bothering to listen, not bothering to look at the way this is all heading, seeking out teachings and teachers that suit our own passions, as the Apostle Paul said, nearly 2,000 years ago. For a time is coming, he says, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears they accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths.
how chillingly accurate. 2,000 years ago. We haven't evolved, we haven't changed, we haven't advanced in a psychological sense, in a spiritual sense, in an emotional sense. In fact, it has gone the other way. And so what are we to do? Well, first of all, we have to care that that's happening. We have to admit that we're being dumbed down on purpose so that we are more easy to control. And instead of trying to elevate our mind or our consciousness through meditation practices that do the opposite of that, we need to start using our minds, reading, researching, switching off our phones, all very simple stuff that no one wants to do because everyone is addicted to it. I've spoken before about that Star Trek Next Generation episode called The Game with a very young Ashley Judd playing the role of the girlfriend of Wesley Crusher. And Will Riker has been on holiday on the planet Riser and has fallen prey to a deceptive woman who has given him a game. And it's a very simple game where they have to just mentally look at a visualisation and try and put a hoop into a cup. And every time they succeed, they get a dopamine hit. And so he brings back this game to the Enterprise and everyone starts using it. The only people who don't are Ashley Judd and Will Wheaton, who plays Wesley Crusher. And they are surrounded by all of these people, their relatives, their friends, their family, just sitting around, getting these dopamine hits, completely checked out from life. And the reason that this woman gave the game to Will Riker is because she's from an alien race that wants to take over the Federation. And so she needed to disarm and disable the people on the flagship of the Enterprise and therefore use them to do her bidding. And so they follow her orders without question because they are hypnotised and addicted to this game. So many predictions in Star Trek Next Generation, by the way. So many predictions of our future that's playing out now. And so it's sinister, it's dystopian, it's happening, it's not a fantasy. People are talking about these things at these World Economic Forum events, openly putting it up on YouTube, talking about the Great Reset, talking about merging with machines, talking about 15-minute cities, which are here already. I even saw Yuval Noah Harari, who was the man who wrote Sapiens, which is a book a lot of people read a few years back, another technocrat, talking about the fact that, obviously, all religions are nonsense. I think he's a, he's a secular Jew. So, yeah, all these religions are nonsense. Obviously, God doesn't exist. But probably what's going to happen, and he kind of says this with glee, is that people will start to worship AI. We'll have an AI deity, an AI God. And this seems to please him. Why? Well, because he's in control of the AI. These technocrats want to make themselves like gods. Where have we heard that before? If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will have your eyes opened and you will be like gods, said the serpent. Isn't it interesting that the logo for Apple is an apple with a bite out of it? It's almost as if they know what they're doing. 
unearned wisdom, unearned knowledge, plug and play. I've got access to so much information. That's going to make me wise and I'm going to be like a god. That's what they're selling us. And lots of people are bought into it. But you're not going to be like gods. You're going to be like automatons. You're going to be like androids, genderless androids who are perfectly happy and content with plugging into a fake reality that makes you feel very clever, that satiates all of your emotional needs and maybe even your sexual needs. Of course, we've got sex robots out there now. And people are just blindly marching ahead. And so Yuval Noah Harari is correct. The religious impulse, the impulse to worship, the impulse to rise up in a spiritual sense and connect with God, whether it's through the Tower of Babel, whether it's through Satan trying to ascend to the throne of God, whether it's New Age people trying to vibrate their way into the fifth dimension, whether it's these secret societies that are totally obsessed with immortality, whether it's Satanists who are obsessed with worldly power and merging with demonic entities, whether it's people who are taking ayahuasca and DMT to essentially do the same thing, to rise up. That religious impulse, which is within all of us, is now being hijacked so that people are putting something else in the place of God. Whether you're worshipping in the church of climate change, or the church of the science, or the church of the official story, or the church of celebrity, or the church of you, right? The church of you, which is basically modern spirituality. It's all about you. You just need to gaze into the mirror Gaze into your internal soul to find the answers that you seek. Or follow some of these new age gurus and new age teachers who do what? Just take really simple, ordinary, everyday knowledge, rebrand it, remarket it, write a book about it and gain a following. Yet we must say something when those who say the most are saying nothing. Nothing of substance is being said by the vast majority of people. No original thought, no real thinking at all, bold assertions, quoting other people's beliefs and bullet points and statistics following teachers who suit their own passions, whether it's within the spiritual realm or whether it's within the scientific realm, whether it's political leaders, following people who are often deceived and very often deceivers. And so it's a choice, isn't it? This is the fault line between people who are seeking the truth and people who could not care less about the truth. As long as they feel good and peaceful, that's all they care about. But if you do want to seek the truth, and I'm hopeful that there are people out there who do, especially with what we've been through over the past two to three years, 
the level of brainwashing and behavioural conditioning that went on during the pandemic was alarming. Not just alarming that it was done, but it was alarming that people fell for it. And you better believe that something like that is going to be tried again. Surely the testing of the emergency broadcast system on our phones is a clue that they want to use the emergency broadcast system for some reason. So we need to be aware that they're going to use the same kind of techniques again. Fear, producing a solution, keeping us controlled, playing us off against each other. Who are the virtuous people and who aren't the virtuous people who need to be put into internment camps or isolated from society because they don't follow the official story? It will be the same playbook. But this time, are you going to play along or are you going to try and see through what you're being told on the surface? Because often it's very easy to see because people are not making a coherent argument. They are making arguments through fear and activating people's emotions. That's how it's so effective. And so we need to learn to spot the people that are not coherent in their arguments who speak out of both sides of their mouths, who say one thing to one group of people and another thing to another group of people, who have ideas that actually contradict each other. But they're so bold because they know people aren't going to see through it. Sam Harris is a perfect example of this. Apparently a bastion of rationality and truth. So much derision for religious people. He's a neuroscientist. We must listen to what he says. He uses all these long words and speaks in this philosophical type language. And from the outset, you could see that his ideas, his main ideas, contradicted each other. And fairly recently, he had a massive fall from grace to the extent that he actually just deleted his Twitter account and retreated, but didn't admit he was wrong, even though even his fans were calling him out still didn't admit that he was wrong. He's wrong in lots of areas, but the thing that brought him down was his absolute inability to admit he was wrong about COVID and also to admit he was wrong when he called for essentially media censorship. And so on the Trigonometry podcast, when they were talking about the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop, where it basically exposed all of not only Hunter Biden's corruption, but also Joe Biden's corruption before the election. The media did a total media blackout on it. And his justification of this was because he doesn't like Trump. And if the media hadn't have censored a news story that was detrimental to his favoured candidate, Joe Biden, then evil Trump would have got in as president. And so the media did the right thing in censoring a harmful story against Joe Biden. Now, you can like Trump, you can hate Trump, you know, whatever your opinion is about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Trump, political things in general. The point is that someone who is constantly talking about morality, things we should do and things we shouldn't do, is also calling for something that is clearly immoral and wrong, which is censorship of true stories. So we need to be able to spot these people. They're not difficult to spot. 
But you have to have your brain switched on in order to recognise the contradictions in their arguments and not be bamboozled by people who use philosophical language to confuse you. And then when you criticise them, say, oh, well, you just don't understand. Well, I understand very well when someone is being incoherent. That is a skill that I've learned over time. And so often it is very subtle. It is very subtle. And we have to be aware that wolves in sheep's clothing are in sheep's clothing. They don't immediately present themselves as wolves, as deceivers, as false teachers or prophets. They present themselves as benign, as good, as telling you things for your best interest, telling you things to keep you safe. They're in sheep's clothing, wrapped in compassion, but it's fake. But this is nothing new. This was warned about in the Old Testament, certainly warned about by Paul and also Jesus, false teachers and false prophets arising. False prophets have always been a huge problem. People who rise up and tell people what they want to hear And the job of the prophet is not to tell people what they want to hear, it's to tell people the truth. But because people don't like to hear the truth, they don't listen. And so in the book of Jeremiah, who's one of the Old Testament prophets, God says through Jeremiah, when talking about the false prophets, they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wounds. They offer assurances of peace when there is no peace telling people what they want to hear, lulling them to sleep, playing on their emotions, encouraging them to check out from reality, telling them fairy tales, whispering lullabies, giving them assurances of peace when there is no peace. And so we're not just talking about spiritual peace, meditation, checking out from it all. We're also talking about people who are leading people astray in terms of formulas to follow, actions to take, things to focus on. You'll be happy if you're rich. You'll be happy if you're younger. You'll be happy if you're a different gender. You'll be happy, as the World Economic Forum said, if you don't own anything. You'll own nothing and you will be happy. All these ways in which we are being deceived. But is happiness the goal? Is pleasure-seeking the goal? Are you going to be happy living in a fake reality, dictated to you through your phones, through the official story? Maybe some people will. Ignorance is bliss after all. I think part of the problem is, and this has been common throughout the whole of humanity, is that we want leaders. We want leaders, we want teachers, we want gurus. We don't want to do the work ourselves. We don't want to go up the mountain with Moses. We want to stay down and create our own golden calves and worship them. And even though I think when people think about Christianity, certainly today and throughout the ages, they picture the the church, the churches, the various denominations, whether it's uh, Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, the Anglican Church, they see Christianity as an institution and they see all the leaders and all the teachers and preachers and priests and nuns and monks and all of the people who are supposed to be closer to God and being the mediator, if you like, being like Moses or being the prophet, speaking for God. And while that is a pattern within the Old Testament and the New, that there is value in that, 
if indeed the institutions are not corrupted. There is also a call to have this personal relationship with God. Because when you have that, you have a direct line to the truth. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And when people start to do that, when they start to cultivate a relationship with God, not their own made-up gods, but the true God, their eyes will be opened, much like Paul, and they will start to see. And it will be uncomfortable at first. And you may very well go through tough times, adversity and suffering. In fact, you will. We all do. That's a, a natural part of life and indeed how we grow and mature. And when we don't do that, we stagnate. We stay as children. And a lot of spirituality today is immature. Immature in the sense that it's superficial. It's too simplistic. It leads people to believe that they need to be happy all the time. And in fact, that is the goal. Pleasure-seeking is the goal. But that is not the goal, just like it isn't the goal to hook into chat GPT because you want to be a famous writer or a famous artist or a famous poet or a famous journalist and you can't be bothered to write anything yourself. And what a sad fate. What a sad fate for humanity. That that is what we think should be the next phase of our evolution, to merge with machines. Because we don't want to grow. We don't want to mature. There's a great passage in Hebrews, and Paul also uses this in some of his letters, where the apostles are calling for the early Christians to mature in their knowledge, to not just rely on them, to demonstrate that they're actually living out these teachings. And so in Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 11, it says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, speaking to the people in the church. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Isn't that interesting? Maturity Spiritual maturity comes by having your powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is what I'm talking about. Using your mind to discern. Not just accepting everything that you read and hear from your favourite teachers, from the mainstream media, from people who hold themselves up as experts, but are in actual fact deceivers. Training your mind to discern so that you eat solid food, that you can be weaned off milk. And one of the ways, the most readily available ways, the most practical ways I know to do this is reading the Bible. It sounds strange to people because everyone has such an aversion to reading the Bible. But because there is so much wisdom in there 
about how to discern false teachers, about how to pray, about how to have a relationship with God. It naturally cleanses your mind. It gives you clarity. It helps you to understand the human condition. It helps you to see that we have not changed one iota in a psychological sense. We are still the same. We have the same problems. We do the same things, good and bad. And even though we do have churches, thank God for that, institutions, people who have dedicated time to studying the Bible and being good shepherds to people. We are also told by Jesus, in fact, not to call anyone on earth Father, because we have one Father in heaven. In fact, I'm going to read you this passage from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. I mean, I quote some of it often, the woes to the Pharisees, but I'm going to read you um, the beginning of chapter 23. And these are Jesus's words to his followers in reference to the religious institution of his time, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, who were supposed to be leading people to God. But as he says to the Pharisees, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So he had a lot of criticism of the religious institutions of the time and these teachers putting heavy burdens on the people, giving them a framework, okay, like people do today. You do these things, you follow these rules and these laws. Not that that's wrong, but it's not a substitution for having a direct relationship with God because that is what is going to transform you. Not following a set of rules, And so at the beginning of Matthew, chapter 23, it says this, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. So he's honouring the institution. He's telling the people to basically follow the law, do what the Pharisees tell them, but don't do what they actually do, for they preach but do not practice. They preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their fringes long, and they love the place of honour at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others." But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ, the Messiah, talking about himself. And he's talking to his disciples. The greatest among you shall be your servants. If you're going to exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. In other words, we're not doing it the way that the Pharisees do it. 
We're doing it in a different way. He's saying to them, you are all brothers. You're not to be called rabbi because you're all equal. Now, obviously, there are going to be people who are more studied. That's why the other apostles often deferred to Paul, even though Paul wasn't one of the original 12. And of course, he was a persecutor of the early church. But Paul himself had been a Pharisee and had studied the law. And he went around explaining the law and using the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they deferred to his knowledge. But Paul wasn't in charge. In fact, none of them were really in charge. You had the three pillars of the church in Jerusalem, James, John, and Peter. You had Paul going out, setting up all these churches around the Mediterranean. The idea from the beginning was we're all brothers. We have discussions. We have councils. We don't set people up on high. We don't exalt people. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled because we have one teacher, one instructor, and one father. And if that's true, then we need to cultivate a relationship with God. And we will get instruction. We will get discernment. We will get knowledge, wisdom, and understanding if we ask for it. And we're getting it from the source of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And it will help to clarify our minds. It will help to give us discernment. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who was sent to us to live in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We can be led into all truth. But only if we acknowledge God and if we acknowledge that we don't know it all, that we need help. And we're certainly not going to get help from other confused humans or other humans who are trying to deceive us so that they can be more powerful. And so sometimes that can feel scary or lonely or you're not sure and you really want to have a spiritual teacher and a spiritual director and a head of the church and all of that kind of thing, you know, wise people to go to and speak to. And yes, if there are wise and good people you can go and speak to, then by all means. But in order to sharpen up your discernment, you will also need to cultivate discernment yourself and not just rely on other people. This is very important when you're choosing a church. And so just as if you walked into a local church and you saw the vicar or the priest smoking a cigarette, standing on the altar, drinking the communion wine, your discernment hopefully would be switched on enough to think, maybe I don't want to go to that church. And just because that person is wearing the frock of a priest or a vicar, I really don't think that they are very wise. You need to have discernment, not just in obvious ways like that, but look at how these churches are actually operating. Are they aligning themselves with Christ's teachings? Well, you're not going to know unless you know what Christ's teachings are. But we have a source and we can learn about that source by reading the Bible. And that opens you up to have a relationship through prayer with God, through his Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to read you um, a passage out of the prophet Isaiah which I always turn to. It's one of my favourite passages. And again, it's talking about this idea of us having one teacher that we can be in relationship with. And so in Isaiah chapter 30, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. 
it's always comforting to me to know that we have a teacher who isn't hidden, hidden to our five senses maybe, but Jesus said, seek and you shall find. And so many times in the Old Testament, God says, I didn't speak in secret. I'm speaking to you. I'm trying to connect and have a relationship with you. I want you to listen to me. You shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. How amazing would that be? Isn't that what we're looking for when we're doing all this seeking? When we're going online asking advice from people? Which way shall I walk in? How can I fix my life? How can I fix myself? What do I do? And we have access to really the only person who we should be listening to when we're asking which way to walk in because we have an omnipotent God who is also omniscient and knows everything, all-powerful, all-knowing, the creator of the whole universe. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Why should God care? Well, because we're his creation and he wants to lead us in the right path. And yet we forego that to plugging into the newosphere, the internet, Asking Google, asking ChatGPT, asking every Tom, Dick and Harry online. And of course, always being dissatisfied. But there is a price to pay to gain access. It's not offerings. It's not even going to church. First of all, it's acknowledging that God exists. And then acknowledging that you have gone astray that you have gone in the wrong direction, that you've been asking other people which way to walk in and they have been telling you lies. You have been deceived. And because we are so good at justifying ourselves, we don't want to admit that. But if you look at your life and the fact that you're probably still asking other people for advice, that your life still isn't the way you want it to be, then you can see that on some level you must have been deceived. You must have gone down the wrong path. You must have done something wrong. And so this is what repentance is, to turn, to admit, yep, I've gone down the wrong path. And I'm turning now back to the only source of truth. And I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask, which way do I walk in? Please give me your knowledge, wisdom and understanding and discernment. Please help me to transform, to be more forgiving, to be more loving, to be more wise. Please help me to love my neighbour. Please help me to pray. Please help me to have faith. Please help me to humble myself. And that unlocks the door. It unlocks the door. Acknowledgement and repentance. And then the discipline to actually pray. To take it seriously. To humble yourself to ask. And so I'm going to read Psalm 32. Because it's one I go to all the time. And it explains this process of repentance and prayer. And guidance that comes from that from God. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, 
I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And so verses 8 and 9, where we switch from King David speaking to God speaking. I will instruct you, God says, and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And so, of course, if we're looking for guidance from God, or anyone for that matter, but talking about God in this instance, if we're looking for guidance, then we have to do what God says. We need discipline. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Okay, I'm watching you. I'm going to give you advice. Don't be like a horse or mule without understanding. Don't ignore me. Don't pretend you haven't heard me or pretend that you haven't understood what I've said and go your own way. If you're coming to ask for help and guidance, then you need the discipline to then do what I'm instructing you to do. And from personal experience, that's exactly what happens, <laughs> which is why I always go to this psalm to remind myself that I need discipline, that I can be like a horse and a mule without understanding and just go my own way and make loads of mistakes and I have to be brought back onto the right path. But the entry point, as David points out, is repentance. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. What an image. It's a similar image, actually, to Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Same imagery. If you go your own way, because you are unwise, there are going to be problems for you. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Because if not, as David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. We decay spiritually. We stagnate. We're in pain when we're not admitting what we've done wrong. We become like automatons. And then, of course, we seek pleasure to deal with that pain. And so the message throughout the Bible is clear. You say you want guidance and instruction. You want provision. You want to be taken care of. You want to grow. You want to evolve. You want to be wise. But you need to follow God in order to do that. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. But that takes humility to acknowledge that. You need help. 
and of course humility to ask for that help. And so Adam and Eve lent on their own understanding in the Garden of Eden because they wanted instant wisdom and instant power. But instant wisdom and instant power leads to our destruction. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. If only we would believe that. But the more that you read through the Psalms, so that's Psalm 32, the more you read through the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, the more you read through Proverbs, Proverbs 3, and throughout the book of Proverbs, have so much wisdom. The more you read about Jesus's teaching, his ministry on earth, the things that he actually said, not the caricatures that are out there in the media, given by people who are speaking out of both sides of their mouths, given by people who are ignorant, who are trying to lead you away. The more we get back to the original teachings, the original text, the more wisdom we're going to gain. But of course, it does take time and effort. There isn't really any way around that, I'm afraid. And that's the choice we're making. That's the fault line. Are we going to take the time and the effort to actually cultivate a true spiritual connection with the true God of the universe through the Holy Spirit, connecting through prayer, fasting, reading, studying, all the spiritual disciplines? Are we going to do that or are we going to turn away? And our destiny is going to be determined by that. Our destiny here on earth and what our lives are going to be like and our destiny throughout all of eternity. But we all get to choose. We all have free will, contrary to what Sam Harris would have us believe. So don't listen to these false teachers. They're not leading you anywhere good. We have one teacher who can give us all the wisdom, knowledge and understanding that we need. Who can protect us and guide us and lead us along the right path for our lives. And so let's avail ourselves of that blessing. Okay, thank you for listening, everyone. I'll put all the Bible passages and verses and references in the podcast notes, and I'll speak to you again very soon.